We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Esports Biz Show. I'm your host, Justin Jacobson. This week we'll be discussing esports teams. Just as a disclaimer, nothing here is intended as legal advice. It's all the information for educational purposes only. This week's guest is Scotty Tidwell. Scotty is a Senior Vice President of Talent and Enthusiast Gaming, the owners of Luminosity Gaming, Seattle Surge, and the Vancouver Titans. Prior to this, he was the Chief Community Officer for G Fuel, the Chief Marketing Officer for PVP Live, and the Director of Global Esports and Social Media for Scuff Gaming. He's also an advisor for Pillar and Gamer Advantage. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Um, appreciate you reaching out. And looking forward to this being a hopefully informative listen for your audience. Well, thanks for joining us. So, you know, tell us a little about your past esports and gaming experience. What was the first game you played and how'd you kind of get into the esports business? All right. So if, if you follow me on social, you might have seen me post a photo. Uh, it looks like it was taken with a potato, but it's me and my gaming setup, which I was very proud of around like 1985. Um, I had a little black and white 13 inch TV and an Atari 2600. And, you know, my mom was one that she kind of let me do my own thing if I wanted to play sports. I played traditional sports. And if I wanted to play games, I played games. Um, some of my favorite childhood games were, you know, Contra. Um, think of uh, Double Dragon, you know, obviously Street Fighter, all those games. Um, just I've always been a gamer my whole life. And when, you know, the Internet became a thing. For my like first true broadband connection, and I got in. I think around sometime in right ninety nine, two thousand. I just fell in love with the internet. Um, at the time, I wrapped up going to school and um, was working to be an engineer, industrial engineer, and that was a great, great career, great living, and all those things. I worked really hard, but um, I just became captivated by the internet, and then also the ability to do dial up. You know, playing Madden online with a 56K modem and some of these things, um, you know, kind of just always in the new and latest and greatest type tech thing for internet or gaming. And then that transitioned into, you know, 2008, uh, you know, quit my day job, did really well, wanted to just, you know, learn more about gaming and started going to conventions and whatnot, meeting different people and, Randomly started, you know, <laughs> people saying, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? You know, and way back then, there were not any, you know, social media directors or, you know, things like that. So I was helping people on new social media platforms that, you know, that just came out. Um, 
social marketing, social selling, all these types of things. And yeah, that kind of spiraled into, um, you know, finally after doing some consulting for a while, I'm like, I don't think I can build, I could build a really good consultancy business. And I have a couple of times in my life, but I really want to get a company and get involved in a company and, and have a huge impact. Like I wanted to take something or have take something kind of from nothing to something really special. And um, that was my, my first kind of full-time, you know, gaming job was, that um, was the first marketing hire at, at Scuff Gaming. Uh, I think this is back in uh, October, 2011. I think that's the date. Um, you know, and from there that, that product company was something that came out of, you know, from nothing to something pretty, pretty impressive you know, in the gaming space. And it's a great story that I, that I hope a lot of people get to tell one day um, from, from what, you know, Duncan Ironmonger under his, his leadership as a CEO, founder, CEO was truly amazing to be part of that ride for sure. Amazing. So you definitely from the OG of gaming and, you know, transition from the traditional world into this. So tell us a bit more about enthusiast gaming. I know they have more than just esports teams. Tell us a little about, you know, the company, the broader, you know, what they do. Yeah. So enthusiast gaming was a very intriguing brand. Um, a lot of people in the U S market, um, they don't really have an idea, you know, who enthusiast gaming is. And that's something that we're working very hard of hard at, you know, kind of correcting and, and just letting people know more about, you know, the company itself. So, you know, enthusiasts, when you think about it, you know, we're the world's largest integrated gaming company. Um, I did it when I, when I took the SVP role, you know, I got interviewed by um, Digiday and I made a point saying that, you know, nobody has more touch points for content creators and enthusiast gaming. And, you know, when you look at it, you know, we do a lot from not only the esports side of things, but also we have an amazing sales team. Um, we have a ton of different brands, um, ton of different verticals that we're in. You know, we do own Luminosity Gaming. Uh, we have, you know, a vested interest in the Seattle Surge, Vancouver Titans. You know, we have a ton of content, um, own and operated media sites. Uh, we've had a, a lot of um, mergers and acquisitions in the, in the recently in the past year. Um, U.GG, one of the largest league legends. Um, communities in the world, addicting games. Um, you know, we have a lot of good things going on. Um, you know, when you look at enthusiasts, you know, we're a top 100 Comscore property globally. Uh, I think that says a lot. If you guys want to look up Comscore and kind of what that is, what you know, what that means, I think that's impressive in itself. Um, with Luminosity Gaming, uh, we have well over you know 12, 14 different esports rosters competing. Um, we own uh, Omnia Media, which is a YouTube multi-channel network with over 700 YouTube channels and that. And we also own over 70 websites. So when I was, you know, as my time at G Fuel was starting to kind of, you know, wind down, I was filling a lot of offers from a lot of different brands. And Enthusiast Gaming was one of the ones that might, you know, it's, it, it's just something about it, right? I think there's just something about the brand somebody like myself there's a there was a lot of toys so to speak in the toy box that i could play with and put my hands on and just help you know champion a lot of different people and their objectives and, and their brands that they're running under the enthusiast umbrella and at the end of the day that's why i decided to uh, to join enthusiasts 
Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, I noticed in my discussions with them that, you know, like you said, it's much more than just operating esports teams. They have event operators, they have content, they have, you know, fan communities, they have TikTok and YouTube and kind of so much backend stuff that I don't think a lot of people really understand that it almost is more of like, you know, content production and advertising agency. And one of the verticals to market stuff is influencer marketing through their teams. And, you know, it's much more of a larger entertainment property than, you know, someone yeah. that just has a League of Legends team and a Call of Duty team and all that. Yeah. So we reach out, you know, we, we, we do a lot in a content creator space. You know, one of the recent activations that we did was with Paramount Pictures for the release of Top Gun, you know, and then Top Gun uh, reached out to Ludwig and, and his team and uh, worked on this really cool campaign. The team, you know, again, when I say worked on, I did not do the work, but we have an amazing team of people that absolutely just, they kill it day in and day out, you know, and, and they, they had this amazing, uh, plan that they put together and, you know, brought Ludwig in and, and this, everybody just executes, you know, and, it, and we did a great job delivering for Paramount and Top Gun and it made some really great fun content. Uh, with, with a really awesome creator. And that's kind of kind of my role is, you know, to ensure that we keep having these fun integrations that that are not only fun for us to work on, but also fun for the content creators and also really fun for their fan base, right? Like it's, if it, it's not a good fit for the creator and, and their audience and something that I never want to do, you know, if it's, you know, the, the, the trick is finding, you know, the right audience for the activation um, so that it can be fun so that there is a, there's a win-win, there's a win for the brand, there's a win for the creator. And then there's also the biggest win is for the audience who gets to enjoy some really fun, unique content, you know, that's beyond just slapping a logo on something or doing an ad read. Definitely. And so tell us a little about your day to day, you know, what do you do on behalf of the company? Uh, there's there's a few things I can't really discuss, but overall, anything that's having to do with content creation, talent, um, you know, I work with the sales team, um, help out the RFP, the RFP team. We have a lot of requests for proposals that come in. Uh, my job is to kind of backfill anybody and everybody for all things related to talent. Uh, we have some great talent coordinators that do a lot of the, the heavy lifting um, for these RFPs and for these brands. Um, you know, I, I'm working to oversee a, an MCN business that trying to, you know, transition that into something beyond what it is today, um, building out, you know, a new vertical, so to speak, under the enthusiast umbrella as well. And then partnering with people like Alex Gonzalez and his team, you know, for all things luminosity. Um, and then also, you know, working every day to stay on trend and up to date. And, and, and the biggest thing that I try to do, and I've done this, you know, for for a long time now is just try to add value to people's lives, whether it's a creator, whether it's a brand manager, you know, whether it's to an audience is like, I try to help people um, do better at what they do, you know, help them monetize, you know, help them uh, gain exposure and just anything that I can to just be a, a assistant, if you will, for, for brands and content creators alike. Amazing. So, what does a talent manager do on behalf, you know, of an esports team? I think people are familiar with someone that's, you know, on the other side of it working with a player, but as a team, how does that work? 
I think the greatest thing about, you know, when speaking, there's obviously a difference between a talent agent and a talent manager, but a talent manager on behalf of an esports team is one of the most important um, jobs, if you will, of an esports team because, you know, that person, they have this amazing task in front of them of, hey, you have to coordinate at times directly with talent. Sometimes you're having to also coordinate with, you know, the, the talents management group. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of moving pieces, but, you know, talent managers are really, their job is to be seen as assisting, like I said earlier. You know, you, you want them to be celebrating the talent that you're managing and also just looking out for their overall well-being beyond just the scope of, like, say, if a, if a, if a talent signed to an esports award, you, you want to look out for all things related to that talent. Because, you know, I, I take it upon myself and I, I ask the people that I work with, this isn't a transactional relationship. Like we're, we're investing in people. Um, and so therefore people come first, you know, and I, and I try to make it a focus for the teams to, hey, put the creator first, you know, put that esports professional first. What, what is it that they, that they need? You know, and sometimes it can be, hey, you know, if, good feedback you know sometimes there's a quick short-term you know upside on certain things but then there's also potentially a long-term downside so like making sure you're forthcoming uh, you have the talents you know best interest in mind and you're always sometimes saying things that they might not want to hear but at the end of the day you know doing the best you can to make the talent successful, to help them be even further successful than they already are, and to you know help foster and grow opportunities um, for for that talent. Absolutely, I think that's you know a really great point that you bring up about how it's about kind of having their interest and understanding how sometimes no is sometimes the right answer, even if it's not the answer you want to hear. Yeah, and and one thing too is like you know I've I've worked on both sides of the fence, right? I've built. Some amazing, you know, influence from marketing programs. Uh, I've, I've, worked, I've signed a ton of deals, you know, sponsorship deals. Um, I used to work with people like Nade Shot at Stuff Gaming back when he, you know, he, I think he was, you know, still working a little bit at McDonald's, and I'm very proud of him and what he's done. You know, worked with Hastro and, and and Hector and you know, all those guys for a long time. They're good people, but I think the key is to you always have to let people be, you have to be honest with people and let them know what's currently in front of them. Because a lot of times I've seen where I'm not sure if you followed the Freddie Freeman, this is way off topic, but Freddie Freeman was at the Atlanta Braves. Right. And he didn't find out until just recently. And you may have saw this on sports center or somewhere else, but he took a deal with the Dodgers and he, he left Atlanta to go to LA. And the guy found out uh, recently while in Atlanta that, there was an offer, a counter offer that came back that his agent never made him aware of. And Freddie did not know all the offers and all the details that were presented to him. And he fired his agent the same day he found out because he didn't, the agent did not tell him about that latest kind of counter offer. And he was, this man was crying on the baseball field because he would have, he would have took that offer, although it, you know, for less money, he would have took that offer to stay in Atlanta. And I think when you look at gaming esports, I've personally seen instances of this. And that's something that, that I'm hoping that I can try to help change in the future because 
you know, everybody should deserve to know the truth, right? And they, they deserve to have the, uh, all their opportunities laid out in front of them. And that's something that um, I'm working pretty hard on here in, in the near future. Awesome. So what do you kind of look for in potential talent? You know, how do you guys determine who you sign or work with? Yeah, so there's there's a couple things, right? I mean, when you look at esports teams and you know traditional professional players, and then look at talent, I've always been a fan of of, of marrying people up that makes sense, right? If you if you have if you if we're in a certain game, you know, title, and, and you have an esports roster, but you have content creators on your esports organization as well, but you don't have any within that same game, right? So I try to marry rosters and streamers together. So if I have a team, you know, just hypothetical playing, you know, uh, you know Call of Duty, for example, and, and we're competing at like local LAN events and I don't have any streamers or content creators around Call of Duty. I'm missing out on something, right? That's a that's a perfect, organic, authentic collab waiting to happen. Plus, it gives the players under the umbrella something to to rally around, right? You have, you have people competing at the highest level. You have content creators who are also very good at the game. Um, they're more into the kind of entertainment side of the competition. And it just makes for a good synergy. So for me, that's something that I look forward look for rather is what's what's a good fit sometimes you know you might have i like to say clicks within you know within the org you know you might have four or five people that hit it off great and they're like they're almost best friends they love playing together and you might have another click of two or three people that's the same way i think general org structure i think that's okay i think one thing that's not okay is when you have you know 10 people within the org and None of them know each other, like each other, play together. There's no organic kind of, you know, camaraderie, if you will. And that's something that, that I pay close attention to because I think uh, that's when things become very transactional. And I think that's kind of detrimental to everybody, including the influencers or, you know, themselves, content creators themselves. Why do you feel that way? I think, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's one of those things, right? You know, traditional teams, um, you know, for me at least, I think that there has to be some overlap somewhere, you know, because it, it, it it's, it's like, you know, if you're in the, if you're in an esports org, you know, or even, you know, a creator, you know, kind of community org, it, it's kind of hard, right? If you're in that business, it's kind of hard to have, you know, opportunities presented to people and, and to just try to just to try to create new types of content, you know, scheduled programming, um, productizing um, certain things to go to market with. It makes it tough because, you know, traditionally um, esports has been seen as a loss leader, you know, um, and I think that's that's probably why you see that a lot is because there's that team component gets lost. And then it becomes so much more about the individual. And, you know, I, I think that's one reason why you've seen some people struggling in gaming esports is you, you're, you're missing that camaraderie, that team, that true team feeling. Interesting. So in your experience, is there any minimum metrics or notoriety you need to kind of get signed to an organization? Are there any, you know, platform, social media ones that, you know, you guys favor or think are more important than others? Yeah, I won't specifically speak to kind of my strategy, but I will, I will say this. If you're a content creator listening, um, you're 
your niche, right? That's your vehicle for disruption. And what I mean by that is you, you don't have to always conform to what's currently popular. And you, you've seen this, Justin. You've seen, you know, you've seen streaming sites, platforms pop up, and there's a shift for a couple of large creators go over. And then after that happens, you know, a lot of other people go over and, you know, there's like, you don't always have to conform. And you see people, you know, one, the Air Force Live, Fortnite had the most um, streamers on Twitch from a, from a user standpoint. And while that's great, right, I feel like sometimes people are chasing, you can't get in the habit where you're chasing clicks. And what I mean by that is, if you're always hopping to the new popular thing, you know, how are you truly building the audience, right? There's not many people that can build and grow an audience when you're constantly hitting the new thing. Some people have done a great job of it, but it's super hard to do. And so my, my feedback is, hey, focus on being a subject matter expert on one thing and let that one thing, let that be your niche and let that be the thing that you go all in on and hopefully, you know, try to disrupt you know, certain platforms, certain games. Um, but I, I think it's, it's much easier for the average content creator to focus on being a subject matter expert on one thing. You know, master, master, try to master one thing before you, try to be, before you try to be a jack of all trades, if you will. A hundred percent. I think that it's one of those things where to have like a super committed, loyal fan base that you've built and you're just focused on that as opposed to, you know, like you said, playing whatever the newest and latest and greatest is, it's kind of a different dynamic. Yeah. And I think too, you know, now I'm going to kind of this next comment where people think, well, you kind of contradicted yourself, but also too is while you're focusing on that, that one platform, that one thing, you, you can't also understand where can additional exposure come from right what platforms allow me to get the most organic exposure you know right now if you ask me the, the best two places for for a content creator to gain organic exposure and potentially grow a following is on youtube and it's on tiktok you know so if you're a twitch streamer and you get up every day and you stream on twitch for 10 hours in hopes of being the next you know 30,000 CCV streamer. I'm not going to tell you to stop doing that, right? Chase your dream. But then it becomes, are you going to run it as a business or as a hobby? Because if you're running your content creation as a hobby, that's fine. But you have to understand that it might forever be a hobby. If you're running your content creation as a business, and then as smart business people, they look for ways to, to grab low-hanging fruit. So if you're a Twitch streamer, yeah, I'm not saying don't focus on Twitch all day. That's fine. But think of ways outside of that one platform how you can gain an organic following. You know, does how much time would it take you to take certain moments and put those on TikTok or put those on YouTube? Or uh, there's there's a lot of ways to take your long form content and disseminate that across multiple platforms into shorter form content. And at the end of the day, if, if, you know, if your storefront, if you will, is your Twitch stream, your Twitch channel, then like most businesses, you have to find ways to advertise to get people into your store, your business. And I think that's at times where that's an area where a lot of content creators struggle is how do I get the foot traffic to the door? Right. 
Definitely. I think that's, you know, some, you know, amazing advice and something that I think a lot of people echo that, you know, you can use these other platforms to just tap into that, to have, you know, the TikTok, the Instagram reel, the Twitter, the Facebook, even if you're not necessarily doing it on Facebook gaming or YouTube gaming, if you're not exclusive to one, the ability to use all of them and the aggregate content and views and impressions there is a benefit. And like you said, it hopefully feeds each other and brings everyone to you, which is the ultimate goal. Because this, and then this leads into the, I think your question earlier about minimum metrics, kind of notoriety, and then also like long-term opportunities or short-term deals, et cetera. Um, so I'll touch on a few of those, right? Um, for most brands, most brands in this, you know, these are, you know, endemic gaming brands. They, most brands have, will tell you it's easier to work with that smaller mid-size to, to, you know, smaller size creators, right? Potentially a lot of times it's really hard to work with that top, you know, five, 10% of content creators based on total social footprint or high CCV, whatever, view, view count, et cetera. And so, but again, the reason it's a little harder is those people have worked really hard and they can command much larger deals. And then also they can command less deliverables. Uh, they can command a lot of things, right? And rightfully so. Um, so you're seeing a lot of brands start to slowly shift away and, and they're asking for some micros, right? They're looking for that, like, you know, that 500,000 total footprint. Obviously, total footprint is not the only kind of you know metric they're looking for, but they're looking for that smaller creator because it's to a lot of brands it's easier to work with those creators, right? There's less hoops to jump through. There's a lot less back and forth, a lot a lot less potentially redlining on contracts. But I will tell you, if you're going to work with a brand and you're designing contracts and you don't have a an agency of record or agency helping or a legal advice, you're putting yourself in a hole. Like Don't forget need, those attorneys. You need, listen, I, I, I love Justin, the guys. I have a, my brother-in-law's an attorney. You know, he's been a talent agent, manager. You know, he's done a lot of things. And, you know, I personally, I've owned a fully licensed talent agency in the state of Florida. I will tell you this. It, it's, it will sleep well at night knowing that legally you just didn't sign away <laughs> the, the rights to your to your brand for a perpetuity right i mean i can't tell you how many times i've i've heard horror stories of creators they sign a contract and it's like well my deal expired with that brand why are they still using my likeness on the website it's like well, what does your contract say it's like well they legally have they can they can keep you on the website from now on because you chose not to have legal opinion on the contract. So shout out to Justin and all the great attorneys in the space um, that do great work. And also the agencies and the management companies. If you're with a good agency management company, usually you'll be fine. But always, always, always know what you're signing. And let I'll tell you point blank, you know, if my motor blows up in my truck, I'm not fixing it myself. That's not what I do. I'm hiring an expert to do it, do it right the first time. Uh, so just content creators, if you're still listening, keep that in mind. Super important. Now, well, I... Yeah. So the, then the long-term, short-term deals, right? 
I will tell content creators, you should take any deal that makes long-term sense for your brand. And what I mean by that is a lot of people say, hey, 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 you should never take a commission-only deal. I completely disagree with that statement. That's a blanket, a blanket statement that's just factually wrong. Um, because one of the things when you're, you know, looking at growing your career, growing your brand, you know, working with certain brands from a, you know, from a, from a commission based standpoint only and free product, that could be a great feather in your cap, so to speak. That could be a great resume builder for you as a content creator, because as you move up the ranks and you start potentially working with non-endemic gaming brands, uh, they're looking to see kind of your resume and body of work to date. And I will tell you, as somebody who's hired a lot of creators and, and worked a lot of creators on, and paid creators a lot of money, it, 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 it puts me at ease knowing that you've done several brand activations or I can go look through your social and see the, the kind of branded posts that you've done or the kind of branded content that you've created. So in certain cases, I, I think it's completely fine to take commission-based deals. But again, it's all about where you are as a creator kind of versus your peers and, and your, the niche that you're in. But yeah, long-term, short-term, um, there's pros and cons, but it really it generally depends on the creator themselves and, and, their, and, their, and their community. Definitely. Well, I appreciate the kind words and I definitely echo that sentiment of, you know, you got to understand what you're signing. And I've, I've had more sad conversations with people that didn't realize, you know, what they meant. And I know I was just doing a deal for like a one-off post and they wanted to have like a two year non-compete in the category. I'm like for one post that literally <laughs> makes zero sense for, right. and it's just kind of like, if you don't understand this stuff, yeah, you could have been carved out for two years in a category because you didn't realize that. And let's be real. If a company is going to enforce it, they're going to want to enforce it. Yeah. Yeah. It, you got to protect yourself legally. You know, when when I go back over my, my career in the game and esports space, I've probably signed more deals or facilitated more deals than anybody else. Like I'll – I'll put that out there. I know one year alone, I signed over 2,000 deals for, for different creators. That's just in a year. Um, so there's protect so yourself. How many of those didn't have lawyers or people in their corner? Well, we you, could take the probably half. the majority, the majority <laughs> of them. The majority of them. And that's the thing, too, is like, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my career and what I've done. I like to sleep well at night. You know, a lot of people do respect me because I try to treat people right. You know, I, I'm not here for a quick buck. Um, this isn't some, you know, flip a business and you'll never hear my name again. That's not what I'm here for. Uh, and But not everybody approaches this business the way I do. And there's some people that are here for to try to flip something in three months and you'll never hear from them again. Um, but I, I like to treat people fairly and be honest with people. And I've even told people that, I've, I was working, you know, try to sign a deal with them. Like, you don't have, you don't have counsel. Like, you don't have any advisement. You don't have. It's like, okay, no, nah, no, nah, I got it. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, you know, famous last words. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like again, this. I can't stress it enough. If you know, if if you need help, there's plenty of places out there to get help. So. 
Definitely. So before working at Thusnius, you worked at G Fuel. So tell us a little about some of the previous work you did and how does the whole process work? You know, I know they have many, you know, streamer influence products. How'd that all, how does that all work? Yeah. So G Fuel is a brand I've known for a long time. Uh, I've known Cliff Morgan for a really, really long time. Uh, before G Fuel actually was a product, I think he sent me some a pre-workout. He used to be really big in the kind of bodybuilding, powerlifting, and he had a, a pre-workout called PTF, I believe it was. And then you know, fast forward, he um, he rolled out a product, G Fuel, you know, targeted to the gaming market, and it's one that I've always personally used. Um, you know, I try to be you know conscientious about you know sugar intake, things like that, and. You know, G Fuel was a way, it was a cheap way for me to get a serving of caffeine, basically, um, a flavored water and some caffeine. It had a few other, you know, things in there that are good for you. But, um, and then they've done a great job kind of first to market, you know, much like kind of Steph Gaming did. You know, G Fuel kind of created a new vertical, if you will, you know, the, the vertical of powdered energy drinks sold direct to consumer. Um, so my role at G Fuel was a chief community officer. Um, and I think that's a title you'll see a lot more in the coming, you know, next two to five years in the gaming space, because if you're a endemic gaming brand, um, whether you're, you're, you know, selling a product direct to consumer like G Fuel or you're kind of, you know, a media company, I think the most important role is a chief community officer and that some people are starting to replace their CMOs, um, with a chief community officer, you, you'll see that more as well. Um, but my focus was when I came in, a couple things. One, to help get the business in position to scale through a high uh, revenue growth curve that they were projecting. And then two, backfield marketing and sales and partnerships um, as best I can. And, and three, obviously, it was built out and helped grow this amazing you know, influencer marketing content creator program. Um, which I'm very proud of my work there for sure. Um, hired a lot of a lot of great people, um, built a lot of great relationships, you know. And even going back to this point earlier, you know, there was a a person that had a commission based deal, and through their hard work and effort, etc., you know, it ended up rewarding them with a, you know, a, a chance of having their own flavor their own co-branded flavor and co-branded products. And I think that was a special moment seeing that come to fruition. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of G Fuel, happy with a lot of stuff that I did there. Um, some good people that were there, um, good creators. But yeah, overall pretty happy. Uh, I think I think I left in January of this year of 2022. So I think that was about three, a little over three years at G Fuel. I think I joined in the 2018. Definitely. So we definitely know they have some really unique products. So are the influencers involved in the taste testing for this their flavor or how does that work? Yeah, I think that's one thing that G Fuel gets right for sure is um again, you know, when I was when I was there, I would always tell creators and all the different, you know, partnership managers and you know agencies and everybody else that hey, there's fifty flavors, right? And this goes back to what I said earlier. If if it's not a good fit, don't do it. And there was times I would tell creators and the team, listen, it's okay for a creator to say, you know what? I tried XQC's flavor and it sucks. Or I tried, you know, um, PewDiePie's flavor and I hate it, right? 
that's being honest. That's being real and vulnerable. And I think that's important. Um, but there, pivot from that and say, but I do love, you know, lemonade or I do love, you know, um, swags flavor, whatever the case may, whatever flavor it may be, you know, if we all like the same things, life would be very boring for all of us. So obviously some people have certain flavor profiles they prefer and others have those, they, they hate those same pro, uh, flavor profiles. But the talent is, is, is always been very involved in that, in that creative process. And I think that's one thing that G Fuel gets right is they do collab really hard, um, with, with the talent to ensure that they're putting out something that the, the talent's kind of proud of. Because again, I, I tell our creators, Hey, if you're not proud of that, you should never put your name on it. You know, because you're, once you do a co-branded product with a brand, that changes the relationship, right? That That's a much deeper relationship. So if you're not happy with the, with the product that's being developed that has your brand likeness on it, then you shouldn't do it. Uh, if you are happy with it, then that's a perfect match for, for not only for the brand, it's a perfect match for the creator and the creator's community. Because guess what? Even if 50% of the community tells the creator, I hate your flavor, that's okay if the content creator themselves loves it. That's okay. Now, if, if 50% hate it and then the content creator hated it themselves, that's a different story, you know. So I think again, like all things, being honest and transparent that that goes a long way to help facilitate your career for sure. Awesome. So we'll kind of touch on you know the work itself, gaming. So what was it kind of like seeing like you know when you started there and kind of where it is now? It's honestly, it was it was probably one of the funnest times of my life, uh, and I can't I can't stress that enough. You know, looking back, it was a grind. You know, it was a 7 a.m., I kid you not, till midnight, 1 a.m. most days. But I loved it, right? I was also way younger, so it was much easier. But uh, it was a grind every day. You know, we were growing and scaling the business so quickly. I felt like we create, we had to get a new um, headquarters like every year almost. Because, you know, I think I was I maybe employee seven. I can't remember. That was the first marketing hire. And back then I was doing kind of everything like, you know, we'd have Christmases, you know, we're Christmas rush. And then one thing you know, I stayed all day and night one night, just helping test controllers so that people would have their orders by Christmas, Christmas day. And that was a very much of a huge team environment. You know, the CEO would go and he would, you know, and this is where I, he kind of, he doesn't realize it, but he mentored me a lot uh, because, you know, as a company got, larger and larger now you're at 50 employees in house now you're 100 150 160 um the fact that he would leave his office you know and and, and walk through the building he took the time to stop by every department know everybody uh, wasn't afraid to pack boxes next you know to a, a package a package person you know that that taught me a little bit that opened my eyes a lot of things when it comes to this business in general. Uh, and it helped me a lot. But uh, the work itself was fun. It was exciting. It was new. I mean, one night, you know, I was I was on social and then like one o'clock in the morning, there was a live stream on Twitch and all the top pros were on there talking about how MLG should, should ban stuff. And I called Duncan. I'm like, you should probably get on this <laughs> on the stream now. 
like you, you know, we we might wake up tomorrow and be banned, you know. But from there, stuff went on to sign a bunch of great deals. Signed a deal with Major League Gaming, you know, all UMG Gaming back in the day was really big. You know, uh, Gfinity out of Europe. We signed a lot of big deals, um, and then from there, you know, we created a new a new vertical, you know, performance controllers. And then all that hard work led to the creation of, of the Microsoft Elite Controller, you know, because, you know, Stuff Gaming had patented that technology. And then in turn, you know, Microsoft leveraged that, I think. And then the next thing you know, there's a Microsoft Elite Controller, you know, on the market. So um, it was a cool, it was a cool time in my career and my life for sure. Definitely. So what did you learn, you know, working on behalf of brands that you're now kind of benefiting when working with an org? You got to put people first, 100%. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that a lot of businesses and brands get wrong is, you know, you, you got to put people first. Um, I just, I, again, I can't stress that enough. It, it's, it, if you try putting product first, it doesn't work. Um you know, it, 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 it just it simply doesn't work. If you try putting, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot I can I can speak to this all day. But again, I think the main thing is there's the three P's in business, right? There's people, process and product. And for me, there's an order in which you must focus on. And that order is people first processes and then product and i know a lot of ceos are like you're out of your mind no product comes first to me it doesn't Uh, people come first because without people you don't have a community and without people you don't have a company Uh, people build companies companies don't build people Right, and you have this community of support that whatever your company puts out, it doesn't necessarily matter. It's more that they're supporting you than worrying about the product. Yeah, and that's the thing too is a lot of brands that get this wrong. Communities and, and, and users and customers, they don't expect perfection, right? Um, the average person understands that everybody makes mistakes. Even the best brands in the world make mistakes. It's how you it's how you you own those, you become accountable for it. And it's how you correct that mistake, right? It's how you overcompensate in the positive way, correcting the mistake. And again, I think to me that's that's one area that a lot of times a lot of brands get wrong you know, in general and also too in the gaming esports space. A hundred percent. So kind of bringing this towards the end, what's advice you have for anyone trying to work in the esports business? Oh, biggest advice. Um, you know, I'm sitting here chatting it, you know, late afternoon on a Wednesday, you know, on a Wednesday, Monday was a holiday, a million emails, but I'm happy because I love what I do. I think the biggest thing for, you know, people, wanting to work in the esports and gaming spaces. If you truly don't love this, um, if this ain't your passion, it's going to be much difficult, much, much more difficult for you in, in the long run. Like if this is if this is a, a hey, I think I can get rich quick type of scenario, you might, but you're going to probably have a hard time and you're probably going to be miserable. So I tell people, if you truly love what you do, stay at it. 
be consistent, put in the work. You know, a lot of times people want to reach the, uh, the end result <laughs> and they don't want to put the work in, you know. And I shared something this morning on, on Twitter and I'm like, hey, most people, they set a goal and it's a straight line to achieving that goal. And, and that's kind of boring. And then below that, there was a, a same thing, set a goal, achieve a goal. But along that path, it's not a straight line to success. There's an up around hustle. There's a downward trend around failing, further downward trend around struggle, right? There's a uh, you feel lost, you get back on track, and you achieve a goal. And, and I think that's more common for most people is if you get involved in the game and esports space, you have to expect some, if you're pushing hard, if you're pushing new verticals, you know, new niches, all these things, it's okay to fail and struggle. I failed numerous times in business and in my life, you know, that, 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 that failure, that one, that failure once or twice doesn't define you. Right. Um, and also too, when you do push hard and you do fail and you do struggle, that's the best teacher you'll ever have. You'll learn more from them failures and those failures and those lessons, those life lessons will prepare you for much, much bigger opportunities in life. As long as you pay attention to them and you don't forget those failures and don't forget the struggle that you kind of went through to get wherever it is you're going or where you are. Absolutely. So what's your favorite part about working in the esports and gaming world? The people, hands down the people. It's, it's the, it's, it's, you know, I've, I've mentored a lot of people. Um, and I've, I've just went out of my way to help a lot of people. And that makes me feel really good about myself. Um, I do it generally to help people. But like, I've, you know, when you get a text message from somebody who said, hey, I want you to know I just bought my first house. And, and, they, and they followed up by saying this wouldn't be possible without you. That that is something that I don't care if nobody knows the fact that the person sent me a message like that or other people have sent me messages where I know my help. You know, it could it could be just me kicking the door open for them. It could be a simple intro. It could be giving them an advice about a difficult decision when I didn't really have to. But knowing that I've been able to impact people's lives for the better. And I've seen people grow over the course of the past decade plus. That to me, that makes it kind of all worth it. Definitely. I think that's a, an amazing outlook on all this stuff. So to kind of bring it to the end, you know, what's the future for enthusiast gaming and for you in this space? Um, from let's start with enthusiasts first. So I think enthusiasts is um, you know, currently there's there's a lot of noise around enthusiasts. I will tell you there's a lot of committed, smart, hardworking people at enthusiasts. Uh, I think, you know, enthusiasts is in a position to really capitalize, again, on this idea of, you know, what does a gaming esports business look like five years from now? I think in my mind what that business looks like, I think enthusiasts is well on its way to being a market leader in a, a very dominant premier brand five years from now. And that's why I joined, right? Um, I think, you know, with obviously we know the blockchain, uh, you know, gamer, gamers expecting to be kind of 
rewarded for their time, their time played, their 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 personal investment into a game as a user, as a streamer. I think there's a lot of exciting stuff coming for general gaming and also esports. Um, for me, you know, I, I've still working hard. I'm a hard worker. I love what I do, so I'll always put in hard work and. And, and do the best possible job every single day. That's that's who I am as a person. Um, I think eventually, you know, five years from now, you'll see me probably um, still very much involved in gaming, but also doing other things um, as like passion projects and hobbies that are outside of gaming. Uh, there's a lot of things that matter to me as a person. Um, uh, and I think, you know, eventually you'll see me take less of a kind of public role in a lot of these different brands, you know, so being kind of uh, the face of brands will slowly start to to, to fade away. And uh, I'll try my best to position, you know, smarter, brighter, uh, much more talented people in, in those roles and, and slowly, you know, pass that baton on to, to somebody else to be out, you know, uh, grinding every day for these businesses and these creators. Amazing. So, you know, thank you so much for joining us. This was extremely insightful. So tell me about where they can connect with you. Um, pretty simple. I, you know, I'm pretty visible on Twitter. It's at Scotty Tidwell. Um, LinkedIn, same thing, at Scotty Tidwell. Those are primarily the only two platforms that I really care about personally for myself. Um, probably more so active on Twitter. Um, I will tell you at times I like to be off the cuff uh, and have some fun. Twitter don't take me seriously. Um, if you if you have me on LinkedIn, I do try to share some insightful stuff um, for the most part on there. Amazing. So thanks everybody again for tuning in and make sure to follow me on Twitter, Justin J E S Q, and check Apple Podcasts for all our past episodes. Awesome. Thanks for having me.